And back for another edition of In Your Corner, one eight three three In Your Corner, the number anytime. Help at inyourcorner.ca. Reminders that the uh, global TV show. Guess what it's called? In Your Corner. Yet yeah, Sundays at eight thirty will be uh, on your television. Anytime you want to see that on a Sunday morning, it's good to catch up and uh, talk about a little bit what we talk about here on the radio show in a uh, cool and condensed version on the TV. Same uh, same cast though. Same stars as far as Savannah and the show and James. Both of you guys, of course, here for the radio show again today. What's going on? Same cast of characters. That's it. Same cast of characters. Exactly. So, John, let me me start off by reading a question from our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. I'll read the question and uh, I'll have actually James answer it. Since he hasn't seen that question before, I, I want to get his take. Nice. Put me on the spot. Throw him under the bus. I, I will. Beautiful. I will. Good let's, way let's to start. This. It's an easy one. It's okay. So this one comes from a lady in Burlington, and here's what she writes. She says, hello, I'm on LTD since 2017 for PTSD, anxiety, and de- severe depression. Just received an email from my caseworker from, and she names the insurance company, saying that uh, change of definition and we've spoken about that before, that after the two-year mark, there is a change of definition for total disability. He's saying that after June 2019, my LTD can finish. My psychiatrist is being sending them all, every three to four months, reports that support the diagnosis that I have PTSD, anxiety, and depression. I am extremely stressed out and worried about what will happen. Can you please tell me what my next steps should be? Um, that's a great question. So this gives me an opportunity to discuss the change of definition that Savon was referring to because you really need to understand that to understand what the insurance company is saying and what you can do about it. So the first two years that you're entitled to receive benefits from your insurance company under an LTD policy, most policies are going to say your entitlement requires that you can show you can't go back to the occupation you had when you became disabled. So whatever your job was, if you can't do that, you're entitled to your benefits. But that's only for the first two years. After the two years, there's what is called a change of definition. The definition of disabled changes so that you're only entitled if you're not able to go back to any occupation that you're qualified to do by training, education, or experience. So the test does become harder after two years. So in answer to this question, um, what can you do about if your insurance company is saying that at the two-year mark at this change of definition, Um, that you're going to be cut off your benefits and that you're going to be required to go back to work or what have you. So in this particular situation, we're dealing with someone who, and what were the the issues there? There's PTSD, anxiety, depression. And severe depression, yeah. And severe depression. So we're talking about mental health issues. Now, when you're talking about a physical issue, that is often something where you may not be able to return to the job that you had, but you might be able to do any number of different things. And the example I always refer to is you can be a paraplegic and that might mean you can't continue doing whatever job that you had, but there are many jobs paraplegics can and do have. And so after the two year mark, you may well be forced to go back to some other job. And that's perfectly fair and that's within the policy. But if you have a severe mental health issue, that is almost always going to carry around with you no matter where you are, no matter what kind of job you are doing. And so when I see claims like that, someone who is suffering from severe depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, it is very unlikely that an insurance company is going to be able to successfully argue that you are required to go back to work. And if you, if you're treating doctors, if your psychiatrist, your family doctor are saying you're not ready to go back to work, 
then you're not ready to go back to work. So what can you do? They've told you in advance that they're going to cut you off. So you give us a call. We start a claim now. We start it now so that we get to resolution as soon as possible. And with any luck, we're going to be able to get this resolved either before or at least not too long after that date where the change of definition occurs, where your insurance company has said that they're going to cut you off. And just to add to that, uh, John, I I think what's important here to to stress is that this lady is contacting us because she's under immense amount of stress. And we see this almost with every claimant Mm -hmm. that comes to us, that contacts us. You know, it's really important. You have to be proactive. She could have done something different. She could have simply waited until June, hoping that maybe the insurance company will change their minds. You know, here's a surprise for you. It's not going to work. Uh, they're not going to change their minds. The adjuster, if once they've told you they're going to cut you off and send you a letter to that effect, the it. decision has been made. It's in the computer. So if you wait, it's at your peril. And the longer you wait, the longer it's going to take to resolve your claim. So as James said, give us a call, email us. As this lady has done, she's posted the question. I've replied, we can help. That's the important thing you understand. You have to understand. We can help you if you, if, if, if you are in that situation. And it's also nice, as, as you guys have mentioned, that uh, you know once you get involved, the phone calls stop, the harassment stops, because they're no longer uh, dealing with them. They're dealing with the insurance company directly, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly true. You know, something comes to mind. I had a case, and this was a few years back, uh, and, and this wasn't a, uh, a disability case. It was an injury case. And James, I don't know if I ever told you this. I actually had a, an adjuster who was, who was very harsh towards this claimant before I became involved. And when I saw their t- the, the, the tone of voice, the emails from that adjuster, I ended up taking a much more aggressive tone with that adjuster. And that adjuster actually called me a bully. You know, you know, <laughs> right. talk about... Uh, Little your own medicine, son. Yeah, seriously. So, so, I mean, but that's one of the things that we do is we push back and we push back hard. If we think that this, an individual that comes to us for help has not been treated properly and the insurance company is trying to take advantage of them, trying to bully them, we are going to push back so hard. Trust me. I mean, you're not going to have anything to worry about. You're not the one dealing with them. We stand in the way between them and you, and we will make sure that they pay you what you are owed. One eight three three in your corner. The number to reach out any time. It is help at inyourcorner.ca. We'll get to some of your emails and phone call, uh, not phone calls, but uh, questions in that regard. I want to remind you as well. The TV show in your corner happens on Global TV Sundays at eight thirty a.m. So catch that if you haven't uh, so far. In your corner continues right here on Global News Radio. In your corner, back at it, the number to reach out, talk to James Savan, member of the team, simple, one eight three three in your corner email is help at inyourcorner.ca. We will get to the top three mistakes people make when they are denied LTD, but first you want to get to another uh, another story, another case, right? So, yeah, okay. I, I have a nice little uh, surprise here, and right. uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy about this. You guys are going to be surprised. I haven't shared it with you, and, and John, make sure you share this with Lior, okay? okay? Because I guarantee you he has not received an email like this. Here's the email. Good morning. Uh, so far, uh, so far is your fame spreading that my cousin in England has asked me to ask you for, for an opinion <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> on a slip and fall that she has suffered. Uh, she was taking her friend's two young children to school and was walking them through the hall when she stepped off of a carpeted area and onto tiled floor. The floor turned out to be wet and she slipped and fell. She broke her left wrist and her left hip was broken so badly that she had to have total hip replacement. She had to lie on the floor until the ambulance got there. Uh, there was about two hours because of the rush hour. And uh, she says there were there were usual consequences. She had to buy special bed to go downstairs. Um, sorry, she had to, 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 they had to do modifications to the home so she can go downstairs. Uh, she, she, she had difficulty navigating uh, outside the home. There was a lot of pain and suffering. She also has to take, uh, she, she's 
one of those ladies who has to take care of her husband mm-hmm. uh, be- because he's ill, and so she can't do that right now. And, and, and then she writes, there was no caution wet floor sign when the accident occurred. A woman was seen scurrying out with such a sign after the fact. Uh, and then she says, I believe there are surveillance cameras in the area of the accident. So she's asking me for an opinion. And of Sincerely, course, Queen of England. Yeah. <laughs> my reply back, obviously, is that, you know, I, I can't help with, yeah. with something that happened in England. Mind you, it's, it's a very similar uh, type of law. It's, it's called common law. But, you know, let's assume that this happened here. Uh, you know, many people slip and fall on wet floors, be it in a school, in a parking Grocery lot, stores, you know, yeah. in the mall, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, and when we analyze these kinds of cases, we're looking really at two questions. Um, primary questions. Number one, who's at fault here? In other words, is the person aware of why they fell? Because some people call us and they tell us, I fell, and I ask them why, and they don't know why. In this case, this lady fell as a, as a result of a wet floor. Yep. And in addition, there were no signs around there. So, of course, we're going to do a little bit more investigation if this happened here. We're going we're gonna, to uh, engage the other side, whoever owned that area or whoever took uh, um, care of that area. And in, this, in, in this case, it's a school. We would be writing the school, and we, we would say, you know, w- what are your policies and procedures when it comes to uh, cleaning the hallways, uh, you know, maintaining them, making sure that, you know, if there's a spill that, that in fact, they have a sign that's put out there. We're going to try and figure out if the school was, in fact, negligent. And if we determine that the school was negligence, uh, uh, negligent, the next question then is, what are the damages? What are the injuries? And in this case, the injuries are severe. You know, when you're dealing with a hip fracture requiring a hip replacement, a wrist fracture, I mean, just the pain and suffering damages here are north of $100,000. And, you know, add to that if there is income loss, if this person now can't work or has difficulty working, uh, if they have other expenses, all of these kinds of things, this kind of a case... I've defended cases like this when I worked for an insurance company. And I can tell you, cases with broken hips, they can easily get into the, the $200,000, dollars dollars $500,000 type of settlements. So it's extremely important that if you are involved in that kind of an accident or you know someone that's involved in that kind of an accident, reach out to us. Let us speak with you. Let us get all the facts. And we will tell you fairly quickly, at no cost to you, if, in fact, you have a case, and if you do, what you can do about it. Now, I, it's important for our listeners out there, you can't see me, but because this question comes from England, you need to imagine that I'm wearing a barrister's wig. <laughs> I can definitely imagine that. Okay. Um, but in all, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, um, you know, this kind of thing happens a lot, and especially in situations where people are in retail stores, grocery stores in particular. Now, the the uh, retail establishment is not going to be held to a standard of perfection. There are many situations where, you know, you could be walking behind another customer who drops something and you slip on it. Right. That's not going to be on the retailer. You know, th- there's not a standard of perfection that's there. But the reality is, in most situations, we're not going to know right away. So you come to us, and what we do is we gather all of the information. We write to whoever was either owning that property or responsible for maintaining it. Mm-hmm. And we get all of their documents, everything that they have um, that pertains to this particular incident, whether it's an incident report, photographs, video surveillance, whatever it is, we take a look at all of that and we try and make the best determination we can as to what the situation is and how it will play out. And so once you come and talk to us, we can start the ball rolling and give you a, you know, a real fulsome answer to what's going to happen down the road. I can't I can't even count on one hand how many times I've walked into like a grocery store and there's a spill on the floor. Now they've got that yellow caution thing up. I mean, how much time 
does that buy them? I mean, I've seen that thing for hours and hours and hours. Someone may still come by and slip, and they all know we had our yellow caution thing on. Yeah, but it's been there all day. Well, it's funny. I, I actually had a case recently where the evidence of the manager of the store is that they actually have them up all the time. Just a <laughs> precaution. Which is completely useless because yeah. if you have them up all the time, people are just you know trained to ignore them because right. they don't mean anything. Um, having said that, you know, really what the analysis is, you take a look at what their policies and procedures are. Mm -hmm. So by all means, if they're, you know, aware that there is a spill um, somewhere in their store, yes, a good, a good procedure would be to immediately put a sign up and then immediately go and take care of that. Right. And if they can show that that is not only their procedure, but that's in fact what they did in this case and you happen to fall in the one or two minute gap between them putting the sign up and them coming with the mop, then they're probably not going to be liable for it. But, you know, if they, you know, found out there was a spill and, you know, maybe five minutes later put up a sign and then didn't get around to maintaining that or cleaning it up, you know, for two or three hours, that doesn't really do anything for them. We'll take a, a short break. one in your corner Help at inyourcorner.ca as well. We're going to bounce over to the email and get to the top three mistakes people make when they are denied LTD. That is all on the way on In Your Corner on Global News Radio. In Your Corner and InYourCorner.ca to check out the website, one eight three three in your corner and uh, email as well, help it in your corner, uh, .ca. Guys, want to talk about this, and this is the top three mistakes people make when they are denied LTD, long-term disability. Uh, what do you, who's taking it? Who's taking it? You guys uh, are fighting over it. I love this. You know what? We're it's gonna like the last m and <laughs> We're going to see again if we have uh, the same answers or okay. not. Okay. Actually, do, do you want to start? Sure. Go ahead. Um, number one, we talk about this on every single show. Appealing. No. Yeah. No, that's not your number one. <laughs> no. Nope. We got to fight, one, fight. Once I fight, say my number fight. one, you're going to see why okay. my number one is correct. All right, let's hear it. What is it? Walking away. Okay, I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and All right, go we're ahead. Back to James. All right, go ahead. Number one <laughs> is appealing the decision. Uh, we talk about this every week. Appealing the decision is not going to do you any good. You are leaving the power with the insurance company, and you do not have to appeal. They're going to write you a letter when they cut you off, and it's going to seem as though the next step is appealing, that that's what you're supposed to do. They want you to believe that. But if you do that, all you are doing is you're allowing the insurance company to keep control over the situation for that much longer. And what you're doing is you're putting off the process. You're putting off the time when you're starting the legal claim, and that means you're going to put off the time when you're actually going to come to a resolution. If you appeal it, you're very unlikely to be successful, and you're just wasting time. So I, I, that's my second point. I mean, I agree with that 100%. And keep in mind, I mean, we don't have numbers and statistics for how right. many appeals get denied. Mm -hmm. Anecdotally, I can tell you that just based on my experience, James's, other people in our team, and just you know, lawyers who do this kind of work in general, uh, it's very rare for us to see these appeals work. Oftentimes, they frustrate people. And as James put it, you could miss the time limitations for starting a legal claim. The reason I put up giving up as my first one is because that's something that, while I understand, I just fail to accept. And I'll explain that. If we are telling you that you have certain rights and you've been denied or cut off long-term disability, even if you don't believe anything we say, at the very least, try to appeal, right? right? I'm not saying you should appeal because, of course, we take the position that it's a waste of time. But the worst thing that you can do is walk away when you know you're disabled when your doctors are telling you you're disabled and the insurance company is giving you an excuse that makes zero sense, zero logic. 
there's no reason for that. So that's why I would put that at number one. I would put appealing at number two. Uh, what's your number two? You well, convinced it, now? You convinced now, James? Walking away or feeling helpless like you can't do anything was my number two. Okay. And that is, you know, frankly, what the insurance company wants you to feel. They want you to feel like what they say is coming from a higher power, um, that there is really no way you can really question anything that they're saying. So why bother? There's no point. You can't win. Not true. Not true at all. All you have to do is give us a call and we'll start the, we'll start the process. That number, by the way, one eight three three in your corner. Uh, top three mistakes people make when it comes to LTD. What's your number two? Uh, number three. Number three, rather. Sorry. Right. So my number three, I'm curious to see what's yours. Now my number three is that uh, you're calling up your real estate lawyer or your family lawyer or some other lawyer that you know that doesn't have any expertise in this field and trying to get them to help you, which is essentially like, you know, calling the electrician and asking them to help you. And there my you number go. three you is same thing. don't get expert legal advice. That's yeah. my number three. Right. So. I mean, and, and that's- Other, and, than, and other than the fact that you got the order the first two wrong, <laughs> we, <laughs> we agree on everything. Well, you know what? You should say that when you have that uh, barrister's wig on from England. That's I am right. still wearing the barrister's <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to go to a jack of all trades, right? You got to be specific. No, you don't. You yeah. don't. I mean, it's a, this is a different time. This is not 50 years ago when you go to a lawyer and that lawyer does family law, real estate law, immigration law. Forget about it. It's just like medicine. You don't go to an ENT, you know, if you're having heart problems. Right. You just don't do that. It's the right. same thing here. And the thing is this, I see people doing this still repeatedly all the time. You know, and I understand they feel comfortable because their brother-in-law is a lawyer that does corporate law in some big firm downtown. No, they have no expertise in this area. You have to be very careful. And, and here's the thing. There is zero reason not to contact us if we're telling you it's going to cost you nothing Good to point. talk to us. Good you, point. you know, you also have to be careful about people who say they have expertise. Yeah. Um, it was last week we were talking about this in the office. Uh, one of the lawyers in our group came to us with someone who was upset because their lawyer had charged them $8,000 for an unsuccessful appeal right, right. of an LTD denial, which is wrong on every level. First of all, that's you know an excessive fee for that amount of work. I know what would be involved in an appeal, mm -hmm. and it isn't much. So $8,000 is not reasonable. But second of all, why are you appealing in the first place? Right. It seems pretty clear that the lawyer who did this not only overcharged but didn't know what they were doing in the first place. There's your top three. We'll get to lots more. In fact, we'll continue with an email. Dan, I see yours there. You are first up. Help at inyourcorner.ca. In that regard, you want to send one along. And one eight three three in your corner. Uh, anytime you want to reach out and contact the guys as well. Lots more of the show is on the way. To take it a short break. Right back at it. In your corner on Global News Radio. One eight three three in your corner is the number, and help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. You want to catch in your corner on Global TV uh, Sunday mornings at eight thirty. Email guys. I don't know who wants to answer this, but I'll read it regardless, and you can fight over it. Dan uh, writes in, says I've worked for over. 20 years in the high-tech industry, and recently I've been diagnosed with a progressive uh, degenerative neurological disorder. I've had some issues with my hand-eye coordination, as well as have applied for long-term disability after being on EI sick leave for three months. I got a letter denying my LTD, and the insurance company claims that my neurologist hasn't provided a prognosis for my condition, which is untrue. What he said, uh, he said that he simply doesn't know if, uh, if any other new new meds will work, but he confirmed that at this point I can't work. I guess that's the uh, the big one here. So how do I deal with this? It's putting a lot of financial stress on my family as well. 
Well, first of all, it seems quite clear that your doctor has provided a yeah. prognosis. Um, saying that you don't know what the final result is going to be is the prognosis. And that's a perfectly legitimate prognosis. There are limits to what medical science knows and understands right now. And doctors, you know, don't know everything that's going to happen. The same way lawyers don't know everything that's going to happen. So, yes, that is a prognosis. But here's a better point. Um, whether there was a prognosis or not doesn't really matter. Um, in fact, there doesn't even need to be a diagnosis either. What really is necessary is that the person is suffering from symptoms that prevent them from working. And if medical science doesn't yet have a name for that particular collection of symptoms, so be it. That does not mean that you're not entitled to your benefits. You are. All you have to prove is that you are legitimately suffering from a condition or symptoms that are preventing you from work. And if, you know, there is a name for it and there is a expected prognosis, great. But if there isn't, that doesn't mean you're not entitled. I think that the problem here, John, is that the suggester doesn't understand what the word prognosis means. Seems that way. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think, and this is, again, not unusual for some of these adjusters to not necessarily understand the language they're using. But the problem is they're using it to deny you your rightful claim. And then it puts you in a position where you now have to challenge that. And unfortunately, that's that's something that has to happen, and we can help you do that. But again, it goes back to the point of not taking what the adjuster says at face value, right? Challenging them, figuring out if what they're saying makes sense, if it's pursuant to the policy. Remember, everything here comes down to the policy. Mm-hmm. Unless there is a provision in the policy that says the insurance company can do X, then the adjuster cannot then enact that. In other words, they, they, they can only act based on what the policy says. So in this case, prognosis, I've seen it quite a lot. I've had a case actually with a lady that had a, uh, uh, some kind of a brain disorder that just arose out of nowhere. I think we spoke about that uh, maybe a year ago, John. Mm-hmm. A- and her mother had contacted me. A- and this was a lady that was functioning at a very high capacity, high level in the IT industry. And she was making well into the six figures. And then one day she started having these neurological issues. She had headaches. She had memory lapses concentration issues, focus issues. It got to the point where she had to actually move back to live with her mother who was elderly. Wow. And the insurance company pays her, uh, I think for about a year or so, and then they cut her off. And the basis for that cutoff is because they say that there was no diagnosis made. And the problem is that this lady had been going not only to one neurologist or two neurologists, but to a whole slew of them, I think over 10 across Ontario. It was just a very unusual condition. She's gone through MRIs, CT scans, a whole bunch of testing. All of them agreed that she was experiencing these debilitating symptoms, but they couldn't give it a name. They couldn't figure out what was actually wrong, so the testing was ongoing. And the insurance company interpreted that to mean, well, that means that you don't have a definable disability, so therefore we don't have to pay you. Nonsense. And as soon as we got involved, started a legal claim, went through the process, I ended up getting a very senior defense lawyer on the other side of the file, and we ended up resolving the claim, not at the mediation, but shortly after, because they understood that if this thing ever went to court, this case ever went before a judge, they would get hammered. We would simply parade all of these neurologists in court. And by the way, that's the other reason why in many of these instances, when we start these legal cases, the vast majority of them don't actually make it to court. You don't go to trial on many of these. And the reason is because insurance companies understand that they have major, major risks yeah. if they actually go before a judge. So they try and settle these cases. 
Some questions and lots more of your emails are on the way. It is help at inyourcorner.ca. If you haven't caught the uh, television show, In Your Corner happens on Global TV uh, Sunday mornings at 8.30. That and the phone number anytime, one eight three three in your corner Show continues In Your Corner right here on Global News Radio. one eight three three in your corner is the number to reach out. Get a hold of uh, Savannah or James, a member of the team. You can also use email, help at inyourcorner.ca. So, you know, you talked about uh, disability payments, guys, just before we were uh, taking a break there. Sometimes um, gets paid from the employer rather than the insurance company. Different considerations when dealing with either one, or is it the same thing? It doesn't matter for the for the, the end user or the end payee. So there there are some differences because right. you know when the employer is the one who's paying the LTD. I mean, generally employers in many instances will pay short term disability. Either that, or if they don't have that, you go on EI sick benefits. Uh, you get that from the government. But for LTD, some employers, there's some banks that have dealt with, for example, or larger employers uh, that will pay the long-term disability claims. The thing is this, though. They have no expertise in adjudicating these claims. So what they'll do is they'll enter into an agreement with an insurance company to uh, look after the claim, to make decisions, to make recommendations. And then whatever the insurance company says, if they say pay the claim, well, then the employer ends up paying the long-term disability claim. And if the insurance company says, no, uh, you know, you should cut this person off or deny their claim, then that's what the employer does. So from a legal claim standpoint, uh, there is there is a difference there because now we're engaged with your employer because they're the ones who are paying for the claim. Now, what sometimes happens in these cases is if if the insurance company has said, don't pay this claim, and the employer doesn't pay the claim, the LTD, and we start a legal claim against the employer and the insurance company, Mm -hmm. in many instances when we end up going to mediation, the employer is going to be concerned not only about the LTD aspect of the case, but also about the fact that this individual is their employee. And many times they will not want these individuals to continue being their employee, so they'll start talking about severance and termination. So you see, if you have uh, a disability lawyer with no expertise in employment law, it's a bit risky because disability lawyers may not have the necessary knowledge and information to be able to deal with a potential termination that is in the context of this LTD claim. And of course, as people know, listeners who have listened to us for quite a while and listened to Lior, we have both employment lawyers and disability lawyers. And so it's really important, I think, that when you are going to someone uh, for this kind of, of a case, when, when you know it's your employer that's paying the LTD, it's your employer that stopped or denied paying you LTD, that you have a law firm, you have lawyers who have both expertise in employment law and disability law because there is an interplay between the two. And again, our goal is to maximize the amount of money that ends up in your pocket. That's that's the key here. That's the objective. Email address help at inyourcorner.ca. Blake, up next, says I'm 54 and have been on LTD for about three years now. Recently, my insurance company offered me a lump sum settlement buyout for two years worth of LTD, but I said no because my illness is progressive and I'll need money until I'm 65. Again, he's 54, uh, which is when my policy ends. I'm also on CPP disability. So last week I got a letter in the mail saying that I'll be cut off March 1st because I no longer meet the definition of totally uh, totally disabled or total disability. I'm extremely angry, and I want to fight them. They're doing this because I rejected their offer. I'm sure of it. Should I appeal first? Blake, thanks for the email. So just to answer your question at the end, right off the bat, no, don't appeal. Uh, And we've talked about this already on the show, but very briefly, appealing is a waste of time. You are 
allowing the insurance company to maintain control over your claim. You don't need to. Once they've cut you off, you can start a legal claim and they no longer have the control anymore. But you are absolutely correct about what their motivations are here and what they're doing. It makes no sense that they're offering to pay you out for another two years um, and then saying, oh, you're not entitled to anything. The only reason they're doing it is, yes, they, you rejected their offer and they don't know when they're going to be able to stop paying if you know they continue paying you month to month. So they're saying, all right, you know what, we're going to cut you off and let's see if you even bring a legal claim because most people don't. So most pe- in most people's um, situations, they're just going to get away with it. The insurance company is going to get away with um, you know denying your claim or cutting off your claim. And maybe you know the person will appeal a couple times and you know before you know it, it's two years after the cutoff and you can't do anything about it. So you start a legal claim now and we'll see what happens because I bet you as soon as you start a legal claim, they're going to change their tune very quickly and it may be more quickly than we see in most situations because yours is one where they've already determined that there is considerable future value in the claim. They've already offered you two years without you bringing in a lawyer without you starting a legal claim, which means they know there's something there. And once there's a lawyer on the file, they're going to come to the table and they might do it quite quickly. Is it common for insurers to offer lump sum or is it continuation or how does it generally work? So John, it it does happen. Um, I don't know how common it is. I I can't imagine that it's that common, Uh, maybe with more severe cases where, you know, it's unequivocal uh, perhaps you have, I don't know, a spinal injury or something. I mean, in some instances, it does make sense. And also when you have somebody who's a bit older and, and you know, perhaps you have a few years left on the policy and they think maybe they can just buy you out, quote unquote, uh, and literally by paying you a portion of that right now. So, you know, it, it does happen. Now, can you negotiate these? Well, I, I will tell you this. The clients that I've had that try to negotiate or I've tried to negotiate for them, I haven't actually been that successful, I'll be honest with you. Usually when the insurance company puts out, and there's one insurance company in particular that likes to do these uh, buyout offers, and they will even pay a lawyer, I think, an hour's worth of time to review the offer and explain the options to the individual. Uh, But once the insurance company makes that offer, I have yet to be successful in negotiating anything beyond that. That said, I would give my client, you know, the pros and cons of accepting the offer. And more often than not, I would tell you that I would tell my client not to actually accept for a variety of reasons. To be clear, you're saying you haven't been successful in negotiating um, a longer settlement without having brought a claim. Oh first. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we're not talking. We, yeah. This is I'm talking about a situation where a person, without the help of a lawyer, without contacting us, has been offered a settlement right. yep. from the insurance company. The insurance company comes to them and says, "Listen, we'll pay you, you know, three years worth of your LTD." take it or leave it. And if you don't accept it, then we'll just continue paying you LTD. And that person comes to me and says, well, can you see if you can negotiate something more without a legal claim? And by the way, that actually reinforces the point we're making, which is, you know, which is that through the legal process, the legal mechanisms, the legal tools that we have at our disposal, we can force insurance company who cut people off or deny their claims, achieve resolutions that are equitable. That's really, really key. I, where I do see these offers, and I agree with you, they, they don't come up all that often, but where you do see them is where there's a good amount of time left on the policy, maybe five, 10 years at least, and the person is suffering from a condition that may well keep them disabled through the end. Not right. necessarily for sure, but that there's a reasonable possibility that if the insurance company doesn't make a settlement offer, they may be paying right up until the 65th birthday. 
one thing I want to say. I also have people contacting me saying that, you know, can I approach the insurance company about a lump sum settlement? In other words- The other way around. Exactly. I'm getting paid. I haven't been cut off, but I want to approach them about a a lump sum. You know, my advice is be very careful because once you do that for the insurance company, that's a red flag. They're thinking, yeah, why is it that you're willing to forgo X amount of years on your policy to get some kind of a lump sum now? So again, I usually advise against that. Every case is different. We can advise you on that, but you know, be careful of approaching your insurance company. You may end up getting uh, un- you know, unwanted attention on your claim. Yeah. Keep that phone call with you as well. The phone number one eight three three in your corner. Uh, help at in your corner. Ca as well. We'll get to an email from Jack and more of uh, your questions on the way here on in your corner on Global News Radio. In your corner, one eight three three. In your corner, in your corner. Ca and the TV show happens on Global TV. In your corner at eight thirty a.m. on Sunday morning. Email now from Jack. Jack says uh, my wife listens to your show and told me to contact you. It's about my brother. He's a former army officer. He was deployed overseas years ago, and when he came back, he trained to become a firefighter. He worked for a while, but then there were uh, complications with several severe emergencies he attended, and he started getting flashbacks. He was diagnosed with PTSD. He got short-term disability but was denied long-term. Apparently, they say he's not disabled enough to qualify. He's extremely upset, as am I, uh, by this whole thing. I'm thinking of contacting the ombudsperson. Do you think that might make a difference? John, let, let, me, let me take this. I, I am. This just makes me absolutely furious. I mean, what the hell is wrong with insurance companies, especially when we're dealing with, 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 with a veteran? Yep. I mean, how difficult can it be for an adjuster, an insurance company, to understand what these people are going through. It's absolutely insane to me that given the history that this person uh, has, has gone through, and, and then in addition to being a vet, becomes a firefighter. I, I mean, just, you know what, forget about the ombudsperson question for a second. I'm going to answer it. Imagine if we start a legal claim here, and we ended up before a judge, or a jury for that matter. Imagine what the insurance company is, is going to have to do to somehow persuade the court right. that this person is not experiencing what he's experiencing. It's absolutely insane. So I think I think this is, and I've seen these kinds of cases before uh, with people who are in you know, the emergency services uh, sector, uh, but you know, Army vets especially, uh, it's just insane. Now, Jack, let me answer your question. The ombudsperson. So a lot of people ask me about that as well. Again, they think that maybe if they can go to someone who is supposed to be independent, somebody who's sort of like at the, you know, the the the, the top point of the insurance company, uh, the top person for complaints, compliance, mm-hmm. they think maybe we can do something. Again, in my experience, it's absolutely useless. Why? Because in my experience, ombudspeople are generally not that independent. They are working with the insurance company, for the insurance company. I have no idea. All I know is that usually that gets you nowhere. It's like it's like doing an appeal. So as far as I'm concerned, Jack, here's what we do. You get us in touch with, with, uh, with your wife, uh, and, and sorry, not with your wife, with your brother, uh, and, and let us talk to him. And, and you know, let us look at the documentation. Let us look at the policy. Let us look at the letter from uh, the, the, the insurance company, the various uh, uh, treating people that have been treating him. And I can tell you, without even seeing those medical, document, those medical documents, just by, by understanding the background here, he probably has a case and a strong case at that. And we can fight back. 
we can push back and we can get to a resolution, I think, very quickly. In a situation like this, especially when we're dealing with a you know someone who's been in the military and who's a fire a firefighter that creates a visceral reaction in anybody who is looking at this and who has to make a decision and i'm talking about a judge of course um, and that is a very, very bad position for the insurance company to be in because attached to this claim, attached to um, the claim for the benefits they haven't paid is going to be a claim for punitive damages. In other words, we're going to be asking the court to look at the conduct of the insurance company and say, no, you can't do that. It's obviously unfair what you've done. Your process is wrong and you deserve to be punished. That's what punitive damages are for. So the punitive damages would be over and above anything that um, he might be owed as a result of um, this particular denial. And by the way, John, you know, because of our uh, media presence, not just with this radio show and TV, uh, we sometimes take cases that actually make it to the public. And so if you were to Google my name and James's name, you will actually see stories there in the media, uh, whether it's in the Toronto Star or CBC or National Post, in all of these different uh, uh, forms of media about how we have taken those kinds of cases and, and you know, in many instances have taken them all the way. And again, we, we, we hold insurance companies to account. We, we don't back down. We fight back. We are in your corner as the show's name That's right. is. That's what people need to understand. You have options. You have rights. Let us help you. Two minutes to go, guys. I'm going to squeeze in a quick one from Jasmine. Says, I've been on LTD for over six months and now I'm getting treatments for both a chronic pain doctor and a chiropractor. But my insurance company is insisting that I get uh, injections for my back. That's absurd. <laughs> um, you know, it's one thing if you know, your uh, insurance company is saying, "Okay, there is you know very clearly something um, that has been recommended, and you're just not following your doctor's advice." But that does not appear to be the situation here. And getting injections in your back is always going to be something that is going to be up to the individual. Um, you know, that's something that a lot of people are just going to be uncomfortable with. And the key point here, the thing that people need to take away from this is listen to what your doctors are saying. If your doctors are saying you should do this or you should do that, then follow their advice. If your insurance company is telling you you should not be listening to them, especially if it contradicts what your doctors are saying. And by the way, John, I want to also speak to doctors out there or treating practitioners who are helping individuals uh, in these situations. You know, I want to make sure doctors out there understand that there is a lot of trust that goes in, in you know, the opinions that you give mm-hmm. and the recommendations you give. And the fact that the insurance company is telling your patient to do something that you disagree with, you have to state that unequivocally that you disagree with them, right? right? I mean, d- don't simply back off. You also have an obligation to protect your patient, to make sure that your patient's best interests are, are, are um, uh, kept and, 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 you know, and, and that you're advocating for them. So again, when we, when we start getting involved in a claim, we work hand in hand with the doctors to make sure that we have a united front against the insurance company, again, to push back and to make sure that we have all the evidence we need to show that what they've done uh, by denying a claim or cutting off a person is unjust and having them pay the claim. Good for another week, fellas. You want to reach out, get a hold of James or Savannah, remember the team. That is very simple. It's one eight three three in your corner. Help at inyourcorner.ca. We'll cover the email. And if you haven't caught the TV show yet, you can do so as well. Called In Your Corner happens on Global TV. That is Sunday mornings at eight thirty. Till next time, it's been In Your Corner on Global News Radio.